Kathy, that is an appropriate song for tonight, that Jesus wept. And when we think about separation, disassociation, it should cause us to weep. When Lazarus died, the Lord wept. And I think the Lord, I know he rejoices when there are those who are brought to him. When a soul is saved, the angels rejoice. It's a time of rejoicing. But separation is not something that God treasures. God hates those who sow seeds of discord. And he loves unity. Unity is something he treasures. That We heard Powell teach about Unity is a part of the very essence, the triune God. They love each other where they are one in love. That should be our heart as Christians to live peaceably and one with all people. And there is times that we have to disassociate. But that time should be slow. We should be slow to disassociate ourselves with people and eager to reconcile. Quick to reconcile. Quick to seek unity. Slow to break fellowship. Our church, if you've ever had to discipline anyone in your church, it, it should break your heart. And if it doesn't break your heart in the disciplinary process of going through the steps of church discipline and ultimately if it leads to excommunication it, it should cause you to, to, to weep. Amen. And so the, tonight's lesson is very sober. It's not something for us to, to rejoice about. It's not something that we should go, yeah, that, let me, let's stand on our five points and draw our lines around us. If someone doesn't come into our circles, then they don't deserve to be with us. That heart of pride is not found in scriptures. And it should be in our heart. So when should we disassociate and break fellowship with professing believers? We're not talking about tonight when we should break fellowship with unbelievers. But when is it that we should maybe leave a church? Sometimes... It's the wise thing to do to leave a church. And by leaving a church, you're not necessarily saying this church is full of unbelievers. But it may be the right thing to do is to leave. But yet, that should be very slow. Very slow to leave a church. When is it right to leave an association such as this? When is it right to break fellowship with a Christian friend? Well, that's the task that's set before us tonight. And as we contemplate this task, you know, it's easy for us to, to spot and pick on the extremes. You, you, you all know someone that uh, draws a circle around them so narrow that uh, they cut off their own toes. And it's amazing. You've met someone that they have a particular position that they hold and they've dotted all their eyes just right. But, you know, if they would have dealt with themselves a year ago, they wouldn't even have fellowship with themselves a year ago because a year ago they didn't believe what they believe now. Isn't that amazing? They don't leave room for growth. 
spiritual maturity. We're all in a different place in our Christian life. Some of us know a little bit more than others, and those who know a little bit more should be patient with those who know a little less. Even those who may be confused, or even those who may be in error. Because who here can raise their hand and say, I have no error in my theology? They're called blind spots for a reason. I think I'm right on everything I believe. Or otherwise, I wouldn't believe them. I really do think I'm right on everything. However, I know I can't be right on everything. I just don't know where I'm wrong. <laughs> so with that, we should have humility. Right? Humility to know, hey, I must be wrong somewhere. Therefore, let me be patient with those I disagree with. So it's easy for us to spot the person that can have no fellowship but himself, sometimes you only have that person may not even have fellowship with his own wife. It's easy to spot that that pastor. Usually, those those come from strong leaders. Maybe a strong leader who looks at any disagreement as a challenge to his authority. Usually, that comes from pride. The the, the other extreme, however, is those you know. It's easy to pick on Joe Olstein, but who accepts everybody? You know, Joe Olstein's come out this week saying Mormons. Our brothers are Christians. Well, it's easy to pick on that, and he's, he's ever it's all so inclusive, so ecumenical that they're bringing in gospel denying people into the fold, and that's wrong. So we want a balanced position, and I'm going to tell you up front: I don't know if I could give you a balanced position. I'm not smart enough. I wish the Lord could teach this for us. And I could be and, and listen to what the Lord had to say. But I do think the Lord's given us some instructions. In fact, He's given a lot of instructions. And I want to look at four things, uh, some broad principles. And I don't want to get too narrow in my principles because even getting too narrow in my principles, we may disagree. But let's look at some broad principles. Maybe we can agree on these broad principles that we can apply to situations that we may be in when it's right for us to disassociate with other professing Christians. I have four, if you want to take notes, here are four of my points. First, we separate when the gospel is perverted. That's going to be the easy one. Two, we separate when others refuse to keep the unity of the Spirit. Three, we separate when we cannot submit to leadership, Christian leadership, with a clear conscience. And four, we should separate when biblical leadership is undermined. But we'll work our way through. Let's begin with the easy one. And that's, uh, we should disassociate when the gospel is perverted. We stand on the gospel. And, it, and when the gospel, with any, any believer or Christian who, who denies the essentials of the gospel, that's when we say, that's it. Uh, we, we cannot tolerate those who pervert the essentials of the faith. And when I say the gospel, the gospel inherently includes all the essentials of the faith. If you take away the Trinity, you take away the gospel. You take away the deity and humanity of Christ, you take away the gospel. You take away the death of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the resurrection, justification by faith, Salvation by grace alone, salvation by Christ alone. And if you take away the 
return of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the future judgment, those are essentials to the gospel. They're essential because they're soul-saving doctrines. That if you get these doctrines wrong, you cannot be a Christian. Yes, doctrine does matter. Because it's soul-saving truths. And when it comes to the essentials of the faith, these soul-saving truths, we must stand strong. Now, we may differ on eschatology or roles of polity, eldership, congregational rule. Those things we can differ on and know that we can still be Christians under those umbrellas because we have the gospel right. But if we're ever mistaken on the gospel then salvation by grace alone and Christ alone and faith alone, then souls are in danger. Augustine, I believe, was right when he says, in the essentials, unity. The essentials of the faith, which would include all the doctrines that are necessary for the gospel. In the non-essentials, liberty. and all things, charity. I believe that should be our heart. And by the way, I want to say this before I move too much further as a side note. When it is time for us to disassociate, break fellowship with professing Christians, I've already said it should be done much slowness and, and it should break our heart. But it, it should be done in a way that we should seek to unify. We should correct people if they're mistaken. And bring them to the truth. But we realize that the Lord himself does not associate or fellowship with those who deny the essentials of the gospel. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. The Lord only has saving fellowship with those who come to Him by faith. And those who knowingly and purposely reject the gospel, or twist the gospel, or reject the gospel, He will not have fellowship with. The Apostle Paul also would disassociate with those who perverted the gospel. In Galatians 1, in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. For there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then you have received. Let him be accursed. So we must separate ourselves from all those who pervert the gospel. That doesn't mean we become unfriendly to them. It doesn't mean that we don't help them or assist them in their needs. It doesn't mean that we don't still love them, but we don't treat them as brethren. We evangelize them. We rebuke them. We correct them. We love them, but we do not fellowship with them as if they are in Christ. See, there's zero tolerance for those who knowingly reject or pervert the doctrine of free grace. 
And this is my concern to throw a name out there. This is my concern for N.T. Wright. And many of you may not know who N.T. Wright is, but he's the leading scholar uh, of our day, supposedly. He's, he is man who has uh, at best misunderstands the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But he's too brilliant to just be misunderstanding that doctrine. And so for that reason, anyone who touches the gospel, I think it is our duty to stand and say this man cannot be a true Christian. Thus we separate when it comes to the gospel. Now that's the easy one. That's the clear one. That's a clear principle that we can probably all here agree upon. And as we move forward, these these principles we get more and more difficult the second one is a little bit more difficult we must disassociate when others refuse to keep the unity of the spirit now notice how I phrase that we must disassociate when others refuse to keep the unity of the spirit I did not say when we refuse to keep the unity of the spirit because we're to endeavor to keep that unity. That should be always foremost on our mind. I am seeking unity in this relationship. I'm seeking reconciliation in this relationship. I'm seeking peace with all men. So our endeavor and our objective in all relationships is to bring closer relationships and unity with all people. But when others refuse this unity and break this unity, then we are called separate from them. You see, unity is not a secondary concern for the church. It is the purpose of redemption. Martin Lord-Jones says all the Bible can be summed up Ephesians 2.16. The purpose of Christ. He says that He, talking about Jesus Christ, might reconcile both unto God in one body by Christ all things. That Christ came. The purpose of, recon- uh, of redemption is reconciliation. To bring those who are odds with one another and bring back unity. You see, it is sin that separates. It is sin that causes divorce. It is sin that causes disunity. And it is God, through His holiness and His love, to bring people back in perfect unity and law. The bond of peace. That's the objective. And it should be our objective. And I believe unity is one of the three main objectives of the local church. The local church has many objectives, but there's three that stands out above them all. And it's true purity and unity. Those are the three things that every local church have in their mission statement. This is what we're about. Glorifying God through truth, purity, and unity. These are not negotiable. We're told in Ephesians 4.3 to endeavor... To work at, to, to make it a, a sort of effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we should only separate from others when we have first sought diligently to keep the unity. Breaking fellowship is not the first step. Well, I already know I disagree with that guy, but that's the wrong attitude. Let me first see if I can. Build a friendship with this man first before you shun him. I already know that we don't agree with the Presbyterians. It's the wrong heart. It's the wrong spirit. 
to already have your mind made up that unity is not possible. I already know we disagree. No, we should first seek unity with, the, with all that is in us. We should especially seek to endeavor to keep the unity within the brotherhood, within Christians. We mean, we were family. We're spiritual family. The Lord called us brothers and sisters. And everyone who is in Jesus Christ is our eternal family. And in heaven, we're all going to be one forever. And if someone is a Christian who truly is a Christian, no matter what minor or little bit major distinction they may have, doggerly, they still are our brother and sister in the Lord. So we should see that unity. However, when professing Christians will not maintain that unity, we're called to separate from them. This is the word we get heretic. We think typically the word heretic is someone who is doctrinally in error, and that is true. But the word heretic is one who literally means one who is divisive. Titus 3.10 uses that word. A man that is a heretic or divisive after the first and second admonition reject. A heretic is one who divides. That could be he, he who divides doctrinally and goes off into error and is causing division through uh, trying to split maybe a church or split fellowship through this is what I believe and you shouldn't believe that and it's causing division. Or one who's, who's darkly in error or in practical error. But even with heretics, we should seek to restore them. We're told with a heretic to, to exhort them at least two times. So we should not disassociate quickly. It should be at least after two admonitions. Seeking peace, seeking reconciliation, seeking to be of the same mind. Those who depart from sound doctrine and practice are the ones separating, not us. That is key. We're not to be the ones who are separating. It's they who are separating from God and His truth and His people. Not us. We have a wonderful young couple in our church. Godly young couple. And if you haven't faced this, you will face this. Her sister is getting married a couple months to a woman. And she, of course, has been invited to the wedding. Now, we are easy to say, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go to the wedding. And they're not going to go to the wedding. They're not going to go. But you, it's not that easy when it's your sister, your family. That are going through something like that. Because for us to say, well, I wouldn't go to a, a gay wedding. It's us, it's easy for us to say that because we're not connected to the one who's getting married and we don't love that person. But this sister, this church member, loves her sister, loves her deeply. And what she's afraid of is losing any form of communication with her sister. She doesn't want to 
to, to lose that connection with her sister because she wants to preach the gospel to her. She wants to invest the word into her. Here she's in this dilemma. And they come to me for counsel. What should we do? We want to, do, we want to follow the Lord, but we, don't want, we want to do what's right here. Tell us what to do. Give us counsel. And I had to reassure them, listen, it's not you who's bringing fellowship here. It is sin that's doing this. And this is why the Lord says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So when we are on the end of a broken relationship, it is going to be grievous and hard. And we should weep. But we don't have to feel guilty in certain circumstances. Because it is sin and the sinner who's breaking the fellowship. If we don't have fellowship with other Christians, it's because there's sin involved. Right? Or some grievous doctrinal error, which is also sin. It's sin that causes division. And so we don't want to be the cause of division, even though we may have to draw back because of the sin. So this is definitely a difficult subject. But we are to call to disassociate with those who break fellowship after one or two admonitions to them. There is a proper time. After seeking restoration and unity, there is a proper time and place to remove fellowship. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. You see that? Mark those who cause division, then avoid them. They're the ones causing division, not you. But after they will refuse to keep the unity of the Spirit, then we disassociate. Ephesians 5.11 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 2 Timothy 2.16 But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hapanias and Philetus, who concerning the truth hath error saying that the resurrection is past. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother which walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he has received of us. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him as a, don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So here's a professing believer who we can say, yes, we believe he's a believer, but there is a time, even within the Christian family, that we have to disassociate. But yet it is with a sad heart that we do this. So secondly, second principle to help guide us as we think through these things, we must disassociate when others refuse to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, we get to the third principle, and this is even more difficult. We must disassociate when we cannot submit to leadership with a clear conscience. Now, before I go into explaining this, I, I want to say this first. We can and should submit to leadership even when we are not in 100% agreement. If you're a member of a church and 
the pastor or the leaders of the church are teaching certain things that you may or may not fully agree with, you still can submit to the authority of the church and to the doctrine of the church with a clear conscience. It doesn't mean you change your position. You still hold to what you believe the Bible teaches and how you interpret the Scriptures. You still hold true to a clear conscience, to your understanding of the Word of God, and your conscience is held captive by no man but God's Word alone. But you can still submit to the leadership of the church by not causing division over those doctrines. And submitting to those doctrines, not by changing your beliefs, but not causing divisions with other saints or making that a point of contention with your brothers and sisters. That would be a way to submit. And maybe the church has some direction that it wants to go in. And as you think through the direction, you go, I'm not for sure this is the wise thing to do. In fact, you may even be smarter than the leaders and have more wisdom on this particular matter. But in humility, you can submit to the leadership with a clear conscience. Even knowing the leadership may be making a mistake. You know, it takes more grace and humility to submit to imperfect leadership than it does to perfect leadership. And so it is, you don't have to break your conscience because you don't agree with everything that the, the church that you attend agrees with. <clears throat> However, whenever the church begins to force upon your conscience that which give, that, that you cannot accept, where you have to compromise what you believe, that's when you say, I follow the Lord and not a church. That's when it's time to maybe look for another church that you can submit to with a clear conscience before God. Because there's no one but God alone who controls your conscience. Not your spouse, not your husband, not your pastor. No one is Scripture alone. And that was the battle cry of the Reformation, right? Sola Scriptura. Because only God is, has absolute authority. And I'm thankful that all authorities that are delegated on this earth, that God has not chosen other than Jesus Christ to delegate all authority to. All authority, maybe your husband, your pastor, your civil leaders, every authority only has a measure of jurisdiction, a measure of authority, and we submit to them only as we submit to God. And whenever our authorities that stand above us cause us or command of us or require of us that which we cannot do with a clear conscience before God, we must disobey. And so when a church begins to run over your conscience, it's time to leave. Follow the Lord. This is what Martin Luther did. Martin Luther, at the time when the Reformation broke forth, he was not trying to separate the church. He was not trying to create a reformation. He was not trying to cause a division in the church. And I know we have a post-reformation view of the Catholic Church. And I don't think the Catholic Church was ever that great. However, we, we, it, it, it was terrible in the days of Martin Luther. But the Canons of Dort was not officially canon law until several years after 1517. And so there were pockets within the Catholic Church that may have more purity than, than other areas of the, of the church. And Luther, in that time, he wasn't necessarily trying to, to separate the church. What he was trying to do is, here's these grievances that, that 
he found that violated his conscience. But then at the Diet Worms, when he was summoned there, he thought that he could go to this, this and meet before the leaders and convince them. And he realized at that trial that there were, he had no opportunity to give his side or his defense. And he ends his speech after the second day, and they, basically the first day of the, of, the, of the jury, they said, recant or die. Can't recant, are these your books? Recant. And he realized that if, if he didn't recant, that it meant his life. So he asked for a recess to think about it. And we may think that was a moment of doubt in Luther's life. However, you realize this was his life. And he spent all night in a cell <clears throat> contemplating the next day, knowing that whatever he said would, would be the end. He didn't know that his friends were ready to rescue him secretly. And he was ready to die. And he goes before the next day and he says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor counsel alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scriptures, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. That must be our stand. Stand on the word of God. We must submit to God. So as we apply this principle, when should we leave a church? Granted, too many people leave churches for the wrong reasons. I mean, if you're a pastor for a very, very long time, you realize people get their feelings hurt for petty things, silly things, personality conflicts, right? And their feelings are hurt and they're ready to leave. In my experience about people leaving the church, they left six months before they actually leave. Because they let bitterness creep in and then they look for things to be wrong. And they find wrong once you begin looking for wrong. When love no longer covers a multitude of sin and no longer you have the love to view people, you're going to be offended and you're going to leave in a matter of time. So the one way, the best ways to keep unity of the Spirit is keep yourself in the love of Christ. Well, that's not the right way to leave a church is when your feelings are hurt. In fact, we're told to reconcile ourselves. If someone's offended us, we're to seek reconciliation. We're told what to do under such circumstances. Too many people leave churches too quickly, too fast, for insignificant and unbiblical reasons. So I'm not encouraging people to church hop, to jump from one congregation to the next. In fact, I think that is an epidemic that needs to change. However, there are times, especially there are times when churches are not following the Word of God, that it is best for us to leave that church when we can no longer worship there with a clear conscience. So when should we leave a church or break fellowship? Is when our conscience is violated. Now, the last point, again, these are getting more difficult as we go. Last point is the most difficult. And I'm going to try to say this very humbly because I may be wrong on some of these things. So you, you just listen with, with love and seeking unity and 
<laughs> and, um, and so I'll, I, I don't want to make any sharp application. That's where the, the differences may be what we have with this and when you start making sharp application of these principles. But let me just give some broad um, ideas here. I believe within the Christian family there are degrees or differences in associations and fellowships. Not all the same fellowships require the same degree of unity. Uh, a husband and wife needs way more unity and oneness and agreement than uh, a loose friendship that lives across the state. Um, there are different degrees of association. Some associations are closer and require more unity than others. Uh, depending upon the objective and how particular the objective is, the more precise and particular the objective of the fellowship, the more unity is required to follow through on that objective. The looser the objective is, or the more broad the objective is, the less unity you may need. For instance, the greatest degree of unity when it comes to Christian fellowship would be within the leadership of a local church. I would recommend that leadership in a local church, the leaders have more unity, especially doctrinal unity, and that would be the, where doctrinal unity would be the most important on the particular issues. may not be wise to have a plurality of church leaders and elders, and one be an all-millennialist and one be a dispensationalist. Although all-millennialists and dispensationalists can be great Christian friends and other associations. But it may not be wise, and maybe it would be wise. I'm not here to make that call. But I, for my church, it may not be wise for us to have some great differences on eschatology because it could cause confusion for the people that we're seeking to lead. So when we think about the leadership of a local church that would require more, more unity, but we don't require in our church that someone be an all-millennialist just because I'm an all-millennialist. I, I, we would want that within our staff or our leadership team, but not to be a member. But however, to be a member, we would say, hey, we want you to know that this is what we teach, this is what we believe. Can you submit to this as not causing division or controversy over these issues? We know that you may be different place in your theology. <coughs> But this is the theology and teaching of the church. So in the leadership of the church, a more precise confession of faith is needed. Because the focus is more particular. And in that leadership, you're seeking to teach the whole counsel of God's word. But a lesser degree of unity is required in cooperations of local churches like we're here today. Now, I would think if we had a poll on eschatology or maybe church polity and other issues, we'd probably have some differences, right? I, I don't know that for sure, but I would just safely assume that uh, you get a group of pastors together like this, we're going to have differences on some major things. And where it may not be wise for us all to be on the same eldership team in a local church, it wouldn't be great if we all could do that. But it may not be wise for us to be all on the same leadership team. It doesn't mean that we can't also have some measure of fellowship in an association like this where the objective is not necessarily to teach eschatology, but maybe it's to plant churches and mission 
efforts. And where in that more broad, broader objective, missionary efforts, planting churches, it is safe that, hey, we want some, some, some more, some close doctrinal unity. Like we're called, this group is called Sovereign Grace. That kind of pulls us together in some broad terms, right? That we, it, 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 I don't know of any Armenians that are a part of this association. Because not that Armenians are not our friends, and not that we can't associate with them and love them and care for them and befriend them and work with them and certain goals and purposes, but if you're trying to plant churches, that would cause some divisions, right? That would be some difficulty of Calvinists and Armenians trying to plant churches. Um, so that in association of churches, you would see there would be a need to have a closer unity. Maybe not the unity needed on a church staff, but at least enough unity to work together for the objective that that unity is required. Well, but as, as the world depreciates around us, I'm willing to walk next to a Presbyterian to preach the gospel on the streets. As the enemy becomes more and more clear, some are of our unique distinctions become not as important. You know, you know, sometimes we're thankful that the Muslims are fighting one another, right? So they put their tensions and waste their energy on each other. But when they get collectively against us, that's when we're in trouble. Well, we have a common enemy. enemy. And as the world grows worse, I mean, I think ecumenicalism will, in the good sense, good unity with all believers, that's going to draw us closer together. I remember when I was young, I went to Connecticut. It's a God-forsaken place. <laughs> it is. I'm from Batesville, I'm Batesville, Arkansas, and from living Conway, it's the Bible Belt. And on our college campus at Conway, Arkansas, there is a college campus ministry everywhere. They get free lunches, everybody's at them. It's just pick which one you want. And when you go, there's 100, 200 students at all these college ministries. Well, I, I go to the uh, University of Bridgeport to visit my friend. I'm there. And I go to the college ministry. And alert, lo and behold, it's only one college ministry. And the whole campus of, of 20,000 people, 20,000 students, only one college Christian ministry. I go attend it. And there's only three of us there. And leading up to going there, I, uh, I realized just how far removed I am from the Bible about. And my Christian, my friend that I was visiting had a profession, profession but I really don't believe he was a Christian. I had, I, by a week's end, I'm starving for Christian fellowship. I've ever been there. You're wanting someone to talk about the Lord. And you haven't had that in a while. You're just looking for it. And I go to this Christian ministry, and all there are is me and two other people, and one person can't even speak English. <laughs> she was dropping off her daughter and she's from China and all she had was her Bible and she looked at me and she could speak one or the only word I heard her say she goes you Christian you Christian and I looked at her and I said yes 
<laughs> and it was the unity of the Spirit knitting our heart together because we're in a world of darkness. I didn't go, what stripe of Christian are you? I was happy to find a Christian. And our world is falling apart around us. It's time for us to, to unify ourselves with God's people for the broader objective of the Gospel. So when the, we get to the broader... We don't compromise the essentials of the Gospel. But if someone holds the Gospel, I'm by their side with them. Amen. I'm going to hold that Gospel up with them. Right. But you yeah, have an association of churches like this. Yeah, we would nicely would want more unity in our doctrinal position. And if we're a member of a church staff, we may even look for even more strength. But that doesn't mean that we're breaking fellowship with God's greater family. It means we just have a more particular purpose that we're trying to achieve. So this is the fourth principle I think is somewhat helpful. We must disassociate when the objective of our Christian fellowship is undermined. So, hopefully these are four things that kind of help us kind of put some parameters on this difficult subject. And as I said, this is not a subject that we rebel in. It should break our heart when we must separate from God's people. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Those were some very helpful principles indeed. And we begin to put together things as we listen to messages and we consider some things Brother Kyle taught us from the scriptures regarding the unity that we have in Christ with all believers. And then it's very helpful to think about things such as what is the immediate objective of the group that we're a part of, but then recognizing that as we extend outward from that small group and we recognize that all true believers who are holding to the essentials of the faith, regenerated by the power of the Spirit, and are bearing fruit as evidence of salvation, that we are united with Christ in them. As Brother Kyle said, Christ equally unites us with Him. It's not that... One person is more united with Christ in that position, that relationship, than others. And so this is very helpful indeed. And, you know, it, I think that it oftentimes, you know, as I, as I speak to people about this first point that Brother Jeff mentioned, you know, the, the essentials of the faith, I speak with very few people that seem to be maturing in the faith whose list of the essentials of the faith is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. Oftentimes, as I speak to people, they are recognizing that, you know what, there are some things very clearly and definitely that the scriptures say are absolutely essential. And if you do not hold to this, you are outside the faith. And Brother Jeff mentioned some of those things. But it can be the tendency sometimes for us to make our list of essentials so broad that we begin to greatly narrow those who are inside the faith. And my encouragement to us is 
let's make our list of those things that are essential based off of the things the scriptures say are, are essential. And you realize the scriptures do make those distinctions, don't they? There are statements in the scriptures, like Brother Jeff pointed out, that you know if you, if you come preaching another gospel, and the context is salvation by grace through faith as compared to salvation by any type of merit or works on our part, then that's anathema. And even if it's an angel from heaven, right, that's anathema. So the scriptures clearly make a statement there that you cannot hold to works righteousness salvation and be in the faith. And the scriptures say that you must confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, or you're the spirit of Antichrist. The scriptures, from Jesus' own mouth, he said, unless you believe that I am, you will perish in your sins. See, these are all very clear, direct statements that these are absolute essentials, right? And then, of course, we can begin to reason and see that if someone departs from a certain teaching, they are departing from one of these essentials. We can put together the pieces. But it is the case that as we look at that broad scope of those who are professing Christ, that we need to look at those broad statements in the scriptures. And we need to be careful not to make our list, our standards, too broad. And thus exclude those that may be genuinely in the faith, right? It, it is an important thing to consider. Especially, you know, as we're here and we're thinking about the days in which we live. And we do see those that are abandoning the essentials of the faith. We do see those that are jettisoning things that are so clearly practical godliness. Issues of right morality. And the battle lines are being drawn more clearly, I think, in our nation, in the United States of America. I think those lines are becoming more clear as we move forward. And with that, we can stand shoulder to shoulder with those who profess Christ truly and those who are standing on the righteousness of Christ. Thank you again, Brother Jeff. We'll take a break here for about 10 minutes or so, and then... We'll look forward to preaching the word by Brother Curtis.